You know, last week we talked about leveling up in this house, okay, in our church, in this house. And, and we gave some vision about what it could look like here at the Grace Place if we all leveled up and we began to carry the vision for ourselves and we began to course correct to the vision and we began to champion the vision. But this week we're going to get a little more personal and I want you to imagine what it could look like if you begin to level up in your house. If you begin to level up in your house, our scripture text that we're using for this series is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses uh, 24 through 27. So if you've got your Bibles with you today, go ahead and get those out and turn there. A lot of you use your phones, your phone app, or it's also going to be on the screen. And so you can read along with us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. And it says this, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard, and they do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No lazy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out for myself. You see, Paul is challenging the church in Corinth here, and he's saying, let's go. Let's go all in. He's saying everybody runs, but like, let's run to win. Let's train hard. No excuses, no distractions. Let's put our eye on the prize and let's level up. And this morning, we are going to challenge you with those same words. We are calling you up today. It is time for us to level up, not just corporately as a church body, but it's time for you to level up personally in your house. You know, God wants to take you to new heights. He wants to do new things in you. It's a new season and it's time to level up. Can everybody say level up? Level up. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about four areas that we feel that the Lord is asking us to level up in this new season. So the number one in your notes this morning, you got to level up in your faith. Level up in your faith. You know what? If we want to grow in our walk with the Lord, we need to feed our faith. Just like physical food, uh, we need physical food in order to get physical strength, right? Well, we need spiritual food in order to get spiritual strength. And I can tell you, I learned my lesson the hard way when it comes to working out without eating something first, okay? Now, some of you who've been to the gym with us, you can attest that when you work out with Van and Jonathan Ketchum, it's, it's a little bit like going into battle, okay? Like, it, it, it's a war zone, right? And if you go into the gym on an empty stomach, I, I can tell you from personal experience, uh, you're going to get a little lightheaded. You're going to, like, have no strength, and you're going to feel like you're about to pass out, The reason is your body needs fuel in order to perform at that kind of a level. Well, here's the thing. How many of you know we're also in a spiritual battle? There's a war going on for your soul and for the souls of the people that are around you. We're walking in a battle zone. There's a war. And here's the thing is that so many of us are walking into battle malnourished. 
We're walking into battle malnourished. We haven't fueled our spirit with what it needs in order to level up in our faith. In Matthew chapter four, verse four, it's Jesus talking and it says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, the word of God is our spiritual food. And if we want to be spiritually strong, if we want our faith to be strong, if we want to level up in our faith, we've got to feed on the word. We've got to feed on the word. So, so how do we feed on the word? This morning, I want to pass on five ways that I learned um, from Pastor Rick Warren about how to feed yourself with the word. And I think that they're going to really help you this morning. So number one, you've got to receive the word with your ears. You've got to receive the word with your ears. You know what? You need to hear it. You need to commit yourself to the local church so that you can hear God's word being preached week after week after week. But here's the thing. You don't just need to hear the word on Sundays, okay? Like, that's like a snack. But how many of you know if we only ate snacks once a week and never ate anything else, we'd be pretty hungry. We'd be starved. We would be dying, right? And so it's not enough to just get that snack. You've got to commit yourself to the local church to hear the word. But also I would encourage you to hear the word by finding a podcast of a preacher or a teacher that you enjoy and listen to it throughout the week. Get on our website and go back through the history of maybe sermons that you missed and feed on the word by receiving it with your ears. Here's what you need to do. You need to fill your ears up with the word instead of the world. Feed your ears up with the word instead of the world. The second thing you can do to feed your faith is to read the word with your eyes. Read the word with your eyes. You see, it's not enough to hear the word preached from other people. We need to read it for ourselves. You've got to read it for yourselves. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. How many of you have ever needed some direction? How many of you have needed some guidance, right, in your life? Well, you know what? You will find it in the word. That scripture says that his word is a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. It, it gives instruction. It gives guidance. But in order for you to find it, you have to look for it. You have to look for it. You've got to read it with your eyes. The third way that you can feed your faith this morning is you need to research the word with your hands and with your mouth. Research the word with your hands and with your mouth. And I think that this is where a lot of us get stuck because, you know, like we don't feel qualified. Um, we don't really know how to research the word. We, we haven't been taught. We don't really know how to study or do it. And so we really just kind of don't know where to start. And I'm really excited to announce that next week we're actually going to be starting a series called SOAP. And we will be teaching you some simple tools that you can use to study the Bible for yourself. And, and we're going to be breaking it down and studying some passages and some stories in the Bible together. And I, I'm really excited about that series that's coming up. But, but before we get into that next week, let me just give you a very basic, very practical tip that you can use to research the word with your hands and with your mouth. Here it is. When you read the Bible, keep a pencil or a pen in your hand, okay? While you're reading it, write down any questions you have. If God speaks something to you, if he shows something to you, if something stands out, write it down. And then go and talk about what you're discovering with other believers. 
It's that simple. You can feed on the word by researching the word with your hands, writing stuff down, writing your questions, writing your observations, and then with your mouth by going and talking to believers about it and allow the Lord to speak to you through other people. The fourth way you can feed your faith is to reflect on the word with your mind. You see, you don't just have your Bible reading time and then walk away and not think about it ever again. You see, God's word should not be compartmentalized into our little 20-minute devotion times. We have got to allow the word of God to penetrate every single compartment of our life. We need to think about it. We need to chew on it throughout the day and let it become a part of our lives, not just something we do at a certain time or a certain day. And then the fifth thing that you need to do to feed your faith is to remember the word with your heart. Remember the word with your heart. You know, one of the most beneficial things that I have ever done in my walk with the Lord was when I was in Bible school. Um, they required us to memorize scriptures every single week. And, and by the end of my two-year training, I had memorized around 400 scriptures. And the crazy thing is, is that even now, uh, 22 years later, whenever I am faced with difficult situations, when I am seeking um, an answer or direction in my life, the scriptures that I memorized all those years ago, the scriptures that I hid in my heart They will return to my mind and they will give me the wisdom and the direction and the peace that I need. You see, Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want to level up in your house, you need to level up in your faith. And you do that by feeding it the word of God. Somebody say that's good stuff. That's good stuff. We're talking about leveling up in our house. So the next way we're going to level up in our house is by leveling up in your family. Somebody say family. You know, we can't level up in our personal life without leveling up in our family. I love the bold words of Joshua. He says in Joshua 24, 15. Now, before when he says this, he's saying this in the midst of a polytheistic culture, which basically means is that they worship a lot of different gods. And Joshua challenged this group of people. He says, hey, get rid of the gods of your ancestor and worship the one and only God. And so it was very common in their culture at the time to look to these various gods for provision. For example, they would worship Uh, Eniki, the god of water and wisdom. So whenever they needed nourishment or they needed rain for their crops uh, or they needed reason or wisdom, they would just go worship this god. Uh, For example, they would also worship the queen god Ishtar. She was the goddess of love, sex, fertility, and war. And so anytime people were about to go to war or they were looking to fulfill their sexual appetite uh, or maybe they wanted children, they would go and worship these gods. And in the midst of this environment, Joshua steps up and he makes a really, really bold claim that is completely countercultural. He says, hey, I don't know what you guys are going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, when I think about uh, the people of the Grace Place, I think there's a lot of people in here that you have a resolve in your heart that you say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As we make those statements, though, I know from firsthand experience that it is so easy. I might not ever declare to anyone that I bow down to other gods, but there are times when I look 
to somewhere other than God to be my provider. I'm asking him to bring more money in this way, or I'm asking him to fulfill me this way, or to comfort my heart this way, when the only thing I truly need is God himself. And I think a great question for all of us to ask today is, are we serving God and only God? Or maybe are we seeking peace and safety in our family through the God of money instead of seeking the face of God? Or are we seeking likes and recognition through the God of social media and we just can't put it down? Are we uh, seeking God with obsessions of hobbies and sports and, and working out or our Amazon shopping carts? Sorry, sorry. Or maybe there's some addictive substances or porn or maybe an unhealthy relationship that you are running to for an emotional escape. All of these things that we surrender to when we don't seek first God and the things of God, we are bowing down and worshiping other small g gods. Now, to be clear, I love my workout rhythms. I love my hobbies. And and. Many of these things in life can contribute to a healthy family, to fulfillment in life. Some of these are gifts of God to us. But when they're completely out of order and we run to the things to escape for provision from God, we're bowing down to worship other gods instead of the God. How do you know that your family is serving the Lord? In your notes, because you're a family that plays together. Somebody say play together. I love what Nehemiah says. He says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah said this after they just uh, completed building the walls around Jerusalem. The, the walls of Jerusalem had been previously destroyed by the Babylonians. And so they wanted to protect their family. So everyone got together and they began to work. And it was a, 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 a difficult time of work and laboring. And, and the people were exhausted. And, and Joshua comes. And I believe Joshua is telling them this. He says, hey, all you've known is work, 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 work because you're trying to protect the family, but we're done. So stop, slow down, and take some time to celebrate what the Lord has done because it's in our celebration and taking time to experience that joy of the Lord that we're strengthened. So for your families, if you, your family feels fragile, if it feels a little weak, if people are a little short-tempered, uh, if, if, uh, you know, if you got to walk around on eggshells, maybe it's just time for you to put down all your work and your battle gear and all the stuff that you've been doing and just pause and rest and be together and have fun. You know, Joshua encouraged the people, stop and celebrate together. Let's celebrate what God has done. So I want to encourage you as a family, just take time to pause and celebrate. I mean, do it on a weekly basis. Just take some moments and just look at what the Lord has done and say, thank you, Lord. Look at what he's done and celebrate. Ask your children, ask your grown adult children, ask your mom and dad, look at your spouse, talk to your, if you're single, talk to your friends and, and ask them, hey, what has the Lord done that's been good in your life lately, because I, I believe that slowing down to celebrate is one of the keys for us to experience the joy of the Lord in our family. How do you know that you're a family who's serving the Lord? Because you're a family who prays together. Somebody say pray. Paul encouraged the Galatians in Galatians 6 and 2. He said this. He said, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ." 
You know, praying and sharing burdens was truly the mark of the early church. And how many of you know if it was the mark of the early church, it ought to be the mark of what we do in our families. Here's some practical ways to share and some burdens and pray together. Something really simple. Pause in the morning and just take a few moments before you leave. Grab the hand of your spouse. Grab the hand of your kids. Grab their hand on the, in the car on the way to school and just take a moment and pray with them. One of the things that our family does from time to time is when we're eating a meal together, we'll pause and we'll do something that we call high-low. We just say, hey, what was the best part of your day and what was the most difficult part of your day? And we just all take a moment and we just share. And if you're single and you don't have people in the home or maybe it's with roommates or friends over dinner, you can do the same exact thing. And, and maybe when you're done and someone's done sharing their low, you just take a moment and say, hey, why don't we just pray for each other real quick? Let's just take some time and pray for our lows. It's so practical. It's so easy to be a family that prays together, to be a family that plays together. If you want to be a family that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you can do that by simply praying and playing together. Amen. So we're talking about leveling up in your house this morning. And so the first thing you got to level up in is your faith. The second thing you got to level up in is your family. You got to be a family that, that plays together. You got to be a family that prays together. And then the third thing that you need to level up in is you got to level up in your friendships. Level up in your friendships. Now, before I talk about leveling up in friendship, I feel like I need to give you a case for why friendship is so important. Because I don't know, I just have a feeling that there might be like a little, a few lone wolves sitting out there today. And because of hurt or because of betrayal um, in your past, maybe you've built up walls around yourself and, and you have this mentality that you don't need friendship. That you don't need relationships or community. And you tell yourself this lie that you can do life all by yourself. But can I tell you today that that is unscriptural? That's unscriptural. It's actually going against God's plan. In scripture, we actually see that the first problem God saw in the world wasn't sin, but it was actually solitude. You see, as God created the world, each step of the way he looked on it and he said, it was good. He created the light and he said, it was good. And he created the heavens and the earth and he said it was good. And he created the sun and the moon and the stars and he said it was good. And he created the birds and the sea creatures and he said it was good. And he created the animals and he said it was good. But once God created Adam, he changed his tune. In Genesis 2.18, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. You see, this was before the fall. It was before sin had entered the world. And God knew that Adam was not complete. He needed community. So even though the biggest problem that we face in our world is sin, the very first problem was isolation. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. So before you tune me out because you think like, oh, you don't need friendship, well, God says you do. God says you do. So if you're not going to listen to me this morning, then I suggest you listen to him. But you see, it's not enough for us to just have friends. If we're going to level up in our friendships, what kind of friends do we need to look for? 
Well, Proverbs gives us some great qualities of what we should look for in a true friend. The first quality is this. A true friend is a positive influence. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You see, we've got to hang around people who make us better. We've got to hang around people who speak encouragement and they speak life and they aren't just complaining all the time. They aren't just down in the dumps all the time. They aren't just, you know, bad talking, you know, their neighbor and all the things all the time. You see, we've got to be around people that sharpen us and make us better and are good influences. You know, my dad always used the statistic that said, you will become an average of the five people that you spend the most time around. So if you want to level up that average, if you want to go to a deeper and a higher level in your friendships, then maybe you need to take inventory of your friends. Are they a positive influence? Are they helping you to level up? And if not, maybe it's time to make a change. The second quality is a true friend is there in the tough times. A true friend is there in the tough times. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. You know, Solomon, he gives us a really simple test to know if you have a true friend. Basically, he tells you this, just go get yourself in a big old mess of trouble and then look around. Look around. The people who are still standing beside you, that is a true friend. You see, anyone can stand with us on mountaintops. That's easy. But true friends aren't afraid to walk with us through the valley. The third quality is this. A true friend tells the truth, even if it hurts. Even if it hurts. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. You see, Solomon, Solomon, he's not talking about like friends that like trash you behind your back or they ridicule you to your face. No, what he's saying here is that a good friend won't let you make unwise decisions without speaking up in love to confront and to correct. You see, a true friend is the kind of friend who will show up at your house or they'll take you out to coffee and they'll set you down and they'll say, you know, I love you, but I think you're about to mess up really big time. You know, I love you, but I see you walking down some dangerous roads and and I'm not going to just sit by quietly and let you do it. You see, a true friend will speak up and they will call you out, not in judgment, but in love. Now, I I know some of you are probably sitting here today and you're going like, Krista, that sounds great. I want to level up in my friendships. Like, I, I want friends. But like, how do I get these kinds of friends? What am I supposed to do? And I will tell you what my mama told me and what I now tell my daughter, Ellie. If you want friends, you've got to be a friend. If you want friends, you've got to be a friend. If you want a friend that's a positive influence and that sticks by you in tough times and that speaks the truth in love, well, then let me tell you something. You've got to be a friend that's a positive influence. You've got to be a friend that sticks by people in hard times. And you've got to be a friend that speaks the truth in love. Because you see, we don't attract what we want. We attract what we are. I'm going to say that again because I think it is very powerful and you need to get that. We don't attract what we want. We attract 
what we are. So if you're looking around at your friend circle or your lack of a friend circle and you don't like what you see, it might be time for you to take some personal responsibility. It might be time for you to be honest about the kind of friend that you have been to others and you might need to make a change. Because you see, if you want to level up in your house today, it's time to level up in friendship, in the kind of friends you have and in the kind of friend you are. Somebody say, ouch. You know, Chris and I are challenging you. This is our second week as the lead pastor of this church, and we're super pumped, and it's been a blast so far. Somebody asked me earlier, how's things going? And I said, well, if the next 20 years go as awesome as the last two weeks, man, it is going to be a fun ride. I want to tell you, though, uh, Chris and I are not just kind of chilling and, and moving along, but God's challenged us personally to level up in this new season. How many of you know that, man, if we're going to lead into this next season for our kids and our family? in our community. We've just, we've got to level up to become who God needs us to be for this next season and this next generation. And it starts with leveling up in our families, in our personal life, in our homes. The last thing we're going to talk to you today is when it comes to leveling up, we've got to level up in our finances. Somebody say finances. You know, people often say, I hear it a lot, mostly from uh, folks who are maybe not around church or they haven't been around in a long time, but they say, why does the church talk about money so much? You know, money is such a sore subject for so many people, even in their own home. They don't even know how to talk about money in their own family without arguing, without fighting, without getting all upset and, and how many, hello, am I on my own here? Yeah. Yeah. Money's tough for a lot of people to talk about. And I think most of what people have seen when it comes to money, whether it's in their home or in the church, has been pretty negative. Uh, when they've heard a, about money when it comes to the church, there's been lots of manipulation. There's been some abuse of authority. Uh, there's been some mismanagement of finances. And I believe for anybody who is in the position, you might be in the room today, they thinking, yeah, why are you talking about money? I want to encourage you. Man, give God a chance this morning. Just kind of set aside all your preconceived ideas and all the preconceived notions and, and things perhaps that you've seen in the past. And I want to say, man, I'm sorry for how pastors and people have done it in the past and how people have manipulated in the past. But I want to tell you that just because somebody has manipulated something and done something wrong does not distort God's word and God's principles. Somebody say amen to that. Why do we talk about money in the church? Well, if you did a simple word search, you would notice that God talks about more about finances and stewardship than both heaven and hell combined as you look at all the scripture. How many think it's important that we talk about it? Let's get really practical today. How do we level up in our finances? You do it by this. You do it by ripping off the Band-Aid. It ain't fun to rip off the Band-Aid. Sometimes it's just, it's nice just to keep your head in the sand and just keep thinking everything's going good. But how many of you know that life does not work that way? Here's the reality. The reality is this, that every family needs a budget. No matter how much or how little you have, every family needs a budget. Here's what scripture says. Proverbs 27, 23 through 24. The writer says this. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure 
for all generations. See, for the ancients, their flocks were their ways of buying and selling. It was how they did business, much like we do today with our own resources. And here's what the writer's saying. He's saying, know the condition of your resources. Know what your assets are. Know how much disposable sheep you got. Be a good steward of what you have so that later on down the road, you still have some. See, a budget simply tells you where you're at and it gives you the truth. It is black and white and it's very helpful. Here's some signs that you need to level up in your finances. Because if you're kind of sitting here going, well, yeah, I don't really need to uh, level up my finances. Here's a couple signs. Now, get ready for some really good wisdom. All right. Are you ready? Earth-shattering wisdom. Here it comes. If you're spending more than you make, it's time to level up. <laughs> Funny but true, right? If you have nothing left over to save at the end of the month, <clears throat> it's time to level up. Got a little quiet in here. Uh, for somebody who believes in a generous lifestyle and you're trying to follow the Lord and be a gener- live a life of generosity and you have nothing left to give at the end of the month, it's time to level up. In your notes, every family needs a budget and it should include giving. See, most people are really good at spending their money on, on all the necessities and things that you have to handle with. It's usually the first thing that we all put in our budget, but we neglect to give. See, we should not spend everything we make and give nothing. Here's a fun acronym for the word give that can kind of help us out today. These are in no particular order. We should all give with our budget. And for the G, we should be generous towards others. Don't you love it when people are generous towards you? Chris said earlier, you attract what you are. If you find that there's nobody that's generous towards you, maybe you should change your disposition and become generous towards others. I love what Proverbs 21 and 13 says. It says, whoever shuts the ear to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. When we live a life of generosity, we tend to look for the needs and we recognize needs and they they stand up. And when something jumps in your heart and and you have a little sense, follow that notion. It it may perhaps be the Holy Spirit say, hey, just be kind, be generous, care for the needs of the people around you. For the G, we're talking about being generous towards others. We should give our money. For the I, we should be investing in our future. Somebody say investing in our future. Proverbs 13 and 22 says this, a good man leaves what he owns for his children's children. How can we have money for our future and our children's children if we don't invest in our future? How much should you invest in your future? Here's some, uh, here's some pretty cool information I found this week. Did you know that at 40 years old, with today's returns and today's market, if somebody wants a million dollars by the time he or she is 65 years old, they need to give $20 a day towards their future. That means you're going to give $7,300 per year towards your future. That's only an investment of $182,500 invested over 25 years. And you'll have a million dollars. Isn't that pretty nice how that works? 
But if you're in your 20s, where are my 20-somethings at? If you're, where are my 20-somethings at? Are you guys, they're still asleep. It's a nine o'clock service, guys. <laughs> Give them a break. Oh, I'm just teasing y'all. Um, if you're 20 years old, if you want a million dollars by the time you're 65, all you need to do is save $2 a day. Everybody in their 40s and 50s goes, she, I wish I would have done that in my 20s. $2 a day, that is only $700 a year. A little over $30,000 invested over a 45-year period, and you will have a million dollars. Babe, we need to open an investment account for Ellie so she can take real good care of us when we get old. We should give our money. And lastly, for the, or not lastly, for the V, we should be vested in the kingdom, in your notes. Vested in the kingdom. I love what 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says. It says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You see how that works? You sow a little, you get a little. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. You see how that works? You're generous, you will reap generously. Each of you, scripture says, should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Did you hear that? God says, give in your heart what you have decided to give. I'm gonna tell you, don't let anybody nose punch you. Don't let anybody twist your arm. Don't let anybody manipulate you when it comes to giving. Scripture says, give what you have set in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How many know God wants a cheerful giver? How many of you want somebody to come bring you a gift I mean, maybe if it's a million dollar check, that'd that'd be fine. But how many of you want someone to bring you a gift and be like, hey, happy birthday. You know, I really didn't want to give this to you, but my wife said it's their birthday and they're your best friend and and here's your gift. How many of you want a gift like that? Where's the one or two of you that? I don't care. I'll take a gift. (laughs) There you go. I'll take a gift. Yeah, God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't matter what the gift is. When your friend comes and cheerfully brings something to you with joy, it is so warm to the heart. And it says this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, somebody say all things, having everything you need, somebody say everything, he's a good provider, you will abound in every good work. See, God is able to bless us according to how we sow. God's able to bless us according to how we sow. If we don't sow, we don't reap. It's not a matter of God's mad at me. He's only going to bless me when I give. It's not a matter of having messed up motives and go, oh, I'm going to give so that I can get from God. No, it's just a, a kingdom principle of reaping and sowing. That's how God works. And we cannot reap if we do not sow. So we should be vested in the kingdom. How should we be vested? We should be vested by being a cheerful giver, by consistently, somebody say consistently, consistently sowing seed out of everything that comes in. How much should I give? Malachi gives direction to this. He says a great starting point is to give a tenth of all your income and bring it into the storehouse. Now, if we have any great theologians in the house, you might say, well, isn't Malachi a part of the old covenant? And aren't we under a new covenant? And we shouldn't be tied to laws and regulations. Well, how many of you know that there are a lot of laws and regulations that are great principles of God? They don't buy your salvation by by the way, but they're still good to do. How many of you know honoring your mother and father, still good to do, old covenant. How many of you know um, uh, be committed and devoted to your wife, 
part of the old covenant, but how many know that's a pretty good thing to do? How many know don't murder? How many know it's a pretty good thing to, to not murder people? The point is that we don't do these things to earn or to buy our salvation, but they're still principles of God. That's how the local church works. And even if you move the Bible to the side, how in the world would you have a church to come to if you didn't make any investments into the storehouse? So a great starting point if you've never given and you've never been a tither before is to start out with a tithe, the 10% of all of your income. Don't get caught up in, oh, should I give before or after taxes? Just, just start giving. Give before tax. Give, give after taxes, okay? God bless you. Give after taxes. Listen. Don't get caught up in all that stuff. Just be generous. It just, you know, my, my answer to that is, should I give before or after? Well, how much do you want to reap? Yeah. It's up to you. You want to reap greatly or do you want to reap a little? So just be generous. We should give our money. Lastly, for the E, we should be emergency prepared in your notes. Emergency prepared. I love what Proverbs 21 and 5 says. It says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to, to prosperity or to poverty, excuse me, <laughs> does not lead to prosperity. Listen, we should gather an emergency fund so that we could be prepared. It's part of us being diligent with all that we have. An emergency fund is simply three to six months of your total income. You know, the truth is, Emergencies are not really emergencies because we know they're going to happen. Pastors taught us this over the last 20 years. Look, we know that tires are going to wear out on the car. We know that the battery is going to go out on the car and the alternator. We know that we're going to have home repairs. These things are not emergencies. They're only emergencies and we don't plan for them. But when we put together an emergency fund and we save for a rainy day, when those tires go out, you don't have to stress out. You don't have to call mom and dad and ask for help to pay for those tires. You just go, go into that emergency fund and, and, and trust me. Like, it's fun that there's money in there, but I still hate taking money out of there. I'm probably just a lot like you. I'm like, oh, I got to pay for tires. I, I'd rather take this money, do something fun, but it's just part of being an adult. So thank you, Lord, that I got the money to pay for tires on my car and I don't have to beg or plead just because I did something simple. I started putting a little bit of money away into an emergency fund so I could be prepared. We're talking about leveling up today. And the challenge for us as a church family is, come on, join Chris and I. Let's level up together. And, and we've seen so many of you leveling up. And, and we heard it after the service last week. We're hearing what so many different people are doing in their life. And they're just, they're digging into what God has. And, and I'm telling you, as we begin to sow as a church family into our personal lives and into this house, it is going to be amazing the things that we're going to start seeing, the harvest that's going to come, the souls that are going to be saved, your children that are going to be saved, the kids you've been praying for for a long time that have been wayward as God begins to bring them back home and God begins to restore your finances and he begins to restore marriages and he begins to restore friendships and, and your relationships with your parents maybe that, that ain't just right. He's just been going to bring a harvest into your life because he's a God of provision. How many of you thank the Lord for him being a God who provides I got a, a couple questions I want to ask you as we close today and as we kind of respond to the message. In your notes, there's a, a little uh, spot that says, take it personal. How are you going to take God's word personal today? Chris has said, always, always come to the word with a pen and pencil. And in this case, you got your phone, you got the notes, write some things down here. Here's a question I want to, you to ask yourself. How does the Holy Spirit 
want to help me level up in my house. And did you see that language there in the notes? How is the Holy Spirit going to help me level up in my house? Because you can't do it alone. It's not about us making it happen on our own with our own strength and our own works. It's about the Lord working in us and through us and helping us. So does he need to help you level up and you can circle one of these in your notes or you can write them down. Where does he want you to level up? In your family, your faith, your friends, your finances. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's all four of those. Just take a moment and ask him, just, just right now. You don't have to look at me. You can look in the sky or close your eyes or just look down and say, Holy Spirit, how do you want to help me level up? Let me encourage everybody in the room. How many of you in the room, the Holy Spirit, told you how he wanted you to level up? He spoke one of those four things. Just slip your hand up real quick. He said, level up in this way. Raise your hand real high, real high, real high. This is a church that hears God. Yeah, look around. Yeah, God told me. God said, hey, level up in your faith. Level up in your finances. Level up in your friendships. He's a God that speaks to us. There's another spot on here later that you can take a look and it says, what can I do to take immediate action on this? Whenever God speaks to us, take immediate action. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till tomorrow. Just get on it. Get on top of it. There's a lot of practical things given today for you to level up in these areas. And lastly today, if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus before, the first place you ought to level up is level up in your faith. And I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. If you have never made a decision to give your life to Jesus, he's inviting you to level up in your faith and make him your personal Lord and Savior. I love what Romans 10, 11 says. It says, all who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. You know, I believe there may be somebody in this room today that the Lord has been moving on your heart. And he's beginning to convince you about sin. He's beginning to convince you that sin is destructive and that it's impacting your life. And that even when you try with the best of your efforts that you cannot stop sinning. And scripture tells us this. It says that we get paid for our sin. It says the wages of sin is death. And this is not just like natural death here on this earth, but it's a death into eternal life. It means this complete separation from our relationship with God. Complete separation from blessings from God. And we don't realize it, but we walk and we live under the blessings of God every single day, even the loss, we don't even know it. But when you remove God from the atmosphere, there goes love, there goes joy, there goes peace, there goes patience, there goes kindness, there goes gentleness, there goes provision for food, there goes his love, and it's just left for you and you alone. And if you say, Sean, I don't want to be left alone like that. I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus and make him my personal Lord and Savior. All you got to do is call upon his name. And if that's you in this room and you say, I want to make him my personal Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up long enough so that I can see it and just slip it down. I want to make him my personal Lord and Savior. Anybody like that in this room? I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet today. You know, at the Grace Place, we love to end our service together as a family. Uh, I said this last week. How many love to just sit around a good meal with a bunch of friends? Raise your hand. 
How many, if you're ever in sports, there's just something cool when the coach brings everybody around and we're just kind of shoulder to shoulder as iron sharpens iron. It represents unity. It represents oneness. Here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to invite everybody just to come hang around the front as we just represent unity in this house to level up. So come on down as the worship team begins to sing. We're just going to sing one last song together. We're going to close out with prayer and a couple announcements, and you guys will be on your way. Let's worship.